Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. Today, we're going to talk about a story that everybody in journalism has been following for several months, but finally seems to be hitting some new fever pitch. That's Elon Musk's Twitter. Every day, literally, something new and awful seems to happen on Twitter, usually instigated by Musk, either stuff he posts or people that he allows on or purging Twitter of whatever people were left who sort of oversaw the moderation of the platform. I'm here today to talk with Emily Bell, who you've heard before on this podcast. Emily is the founding director of the Tao Center for Digital Journalism here at Columbia Journalism School, where she's also a professor. Before that, she served as director of The Guardian's digital content and has been a great colleague and friend of CJR, um, which posts a lot of the work that Tao does. Emily knows a lot about how journalists interact online and how the digital world affects journalism. She's also written about Musk's takeover of Twitter on our website, which you can check out on the show notes. I wanted to ask her about how we should be thinking about this moment, what Twitter has meant for journalism, both in the obvious bad ways that we all talk about, but also in the positive ways that are being discussed a little bit less now. And then what are the various different scenarios for post-Twitter journalism? What form could they take? Who would run them? All of that's in today's discussion. Emily, thanks for joining me. Pleasure. Great to be here. Um, where do we even start? Are you surprised by what's happened since Musk took over Twitter? So I think theoretically, no, I'm not surprised because my job for about the last 10 years has been to imagine what would happen in various scenarios. And one of those scenarios was, what if a really bad actor took over a platform that was actually important in some way to the public square? So is it unimaginable? No, I'm surprised it's worked out in very much the worst version of how you might imagine it. We're journalists, Kyle, who have covered media or been involved in the media for a long time. So, you know, we always practice worst case scenarios. (laughs) And it's rare, actually, that we're completely right about those. And much as journalists Mm -hmm. like to say, Facebook is an evil organisation. Well, it's probably not the whole truth. Musk has kind of surpassed, I think, the worst type of stewardship that one could possibly imagine for a business like Twitter. So, so that bit has surprised me. Yes, and his his the 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 depths of his approach have have come so fast. I thought it would take him a while to sort of noodle around and figure out what was what, but that hasn't been the way it's unfolded. I think that if one made the mistake of thinking about this as a rational business decision, but right from the get go. It was pretty clear that Musk didn't really want to buy Twitter. Then he was kind of forced into it. And this does feel like a tantrum exercised at great scale against the people who effectively forced him to buy it, which is the board and the uh, no longer there chief executive of of Twitter, just by holding him to uh, a rash offer that he made for the company. So when you have a very powerful individual who has no shareholders, has no board to keep him in check, has no duties, and critically, no real regulation. If somebody like that decides to act, and when you say act swiftly, what 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 we're really talking about here is just sacking hundreds of people from Twitter who were performing core functions. Not much has actually changed on the 
face of how the app works, but the, the content and the orientation and the, I would say, feeling of being on there has changed really rapidly as well. Um, let's get to that in a second. But where do you stand on the um, public declaration of either I'm staying or I'm going? So I think that um, it's helpful for people to work out why they're there and to think carefully about what it means to remain. And also when they leave, to be really clear about the reasons that they're, they're leaving. My boss, uh, Jelani Cobb, who's the uh, Dean of Journalism School, he, I think, had one of the much better declarations of why I'm leaving Twitter about the history of racism and homophobia and the values. But fundamentally, I'm now seeing people who are, I would say, pragmatists beginning to say this is actually not the right place to be. So Casey Newton, um, a platformer, he said today, not why I'm leaving, but I'm beginning to feel like one, one should leave. I'm really clear that it's not a safe platform to be on. I don't think it's safe personally. I don't think it's safe for anybody's contacts or network. It's certainly not safe for your DMs on there. But but also part of my job, part of your job, is is to some extent to know what's going on on there. That's very difficult to do unless you're unless you're there in some capacity. But there in an active capacity, I think is becoming increasingly difficult because simply because of the the, the behaviour and the orientation of the owner. So are, are you posting less? You're, you're watching as much, but posting less? Or how, how has your behavior changed? I feel like I'm posting less. We're actually doing some data collection at the town center at the moment, which will be able to, I think, highlight how people's behavior changed over these few weeks. And it's not always as you think it might be. So I think people have become a bit more hyper aware of Twitter. I think journalists are on there a little bit more because they, they want to see what Elon Musk is saying and doing and what the impact of that is. I'm trying to post less on there. I'm posting more on Mastodon, where I'm currently holed up. It's like being back in the early days of social media, <laughs> sort of quite a pleasant atmosphere, uh, people posting things which are not directly political or relating to you know, the hellscape of democracy. Uh, so, so, so uh, and I think that, that that's the other thing, which is we all have to try the different platforms. You know, Post is another one that I've, I'm on as well. I think it's also just we should acknowledge that it's been quite an important place for a lot of people. I think we're very flippant as journalists about it's important. Yeah. We say, oh, it's a hell site. But there are parts of the world where it's just absolutely vital. And it's also where people meet their friends and talk to other people who are like minded. Yeah. And so so I think we should have a moment where we say, you know, the damage that Musk is doing is actually really grievous and, and unfair and damaging to to a lot of people yeah i mean I, I was talking this week to somebody who had said publicly like yeah i'm off and we had that conversation and then immediately this person said did you see what so-and-so said did you see what <laughs> happened and so they're clearly still on it and watching it but just not engaging let's talk about how journalism has been changed by twitter because you started to talk about this, how important it is and the things that it has brought that have been beneficial. Because I do think I agree with you that it's important to acknowledge that in this moment. How, what do you, how do you kind of boil that down? How is what we do better for having for Twitter having been there? Um, 
Better is an interesting word. <laughs> so, so, so I can tell you how it's different. I think it's changed just about everything in the modern newsroom because it's the only platform we've ever had that even comes close to being able to answer the question, what is going on in the world right now? Yeah. You know, if there's a, if there's a high school shooting, if there's a protest in China, if your local council has put out an alert about flooded roads... If somebody in the White House has said or done something, it's actually all there. And for news journalists who were all previously completely addicted to the wire screen on their laptops, that that has changed how we think about news breaking and think about where we put our efforts and resources. And, and it's corrupted some of that. I think it just means it's become completely un believable or unmissable for too many journalists and it, it, it's changed how we commission stories one of the interesting things i think about twitter is that it doesn't have a huge user base but it's pretty ubiquitous in terms of when you think about where you see its posts which is on every news broadcast embedded in every magazine article embedded in every news uh, page on every website it's had a far greater influence and then I think the other way that it's changed some parts of journalism is, is really by facilitating business models that did not exist before. So everybody now with a small team producing niche newsletters is, is really actually extremely worried. If you're a semaphore, if you're Axios, if you're Punchbowl or Puck or any of those, or if you have a Substack. Twitter is the shop window for those um, business-to-business niche newsletters. It is the single most effective way of marketing them. And when it goes away, I think that there are a lot of people, a lot of businesses who are really going to struggle in terms of how do you then go ahead and build a following, unless something else comes along that can fulfill that function. So, I mean, weirdly, I think it has an enabled a type of innovation um, to happen much more quickly than if we were stuck with platforms a bit like Facebook. And not everybody wants to have to perform a TikTok, which is actually where a lot of the news, um, that sort of news traffic and instantaneous interest is now going. Yeah, I mean, we've even we've been having these conversations at CJR, like, okay, we've got, we're doing a, a major project, a piece or a series of pieces. How do we get people's eyeballs on right. it? If, uh, and, and it's an interesting thought experiment that takes this to the extreme, but says, what if Twitter is goes away by, let's let's say it goes a bit away soon. Right. You, you, you are going to be singing and dancing, Kyle, quite literally, because TikTok, um, owned by the Chinese government effectively, is the answer to this. And, that, and this is the other thing which I think the whole difficulty with Twitter illustrates, which is, the fact that we've got so far in our journey of creating um, peer-to-peer media, and there is really no robust way to do that which has high quality or, or frequent and reliable news as a component of it, is really extremely it's extremely worrying, and it highlights some of the problems with all of these platforms. I think, um, but how you get that attention? Twitter does a very specific job, and when it goes away, there is really nothing that replaces it immediately at all. And I think that's going to be worrying for certain um, journalism businesses if if it does indeed go away, or maybe it becomes this mainstream sort of. Uh, I mean, we've seen what Musk is doing this week with the Twitter files, which is like a terrible version of legacy journalism, like the very worst version of journalism it could possibly be, and. 
tweeted out like some sort of tawdry tabloid series really <laughs> so so i don't know maybe it's actually going to be very good for certain types of journalistic business don't you think it could accelerate what we've already seen which is a kind of like um consolidation where if you're already the new york times or the washington post or a big established brand you'll be okay but it's going to make it very hard for for people to sort of break through I'm not sure that I believe that direct traffic to any of the big players is going to really kind of go through the roof. It's already pretty high on all of those. But you're you're completely right. Any major media brand that has been doing due diligence on things like its customer uh, customer relations management has everybody's details. You know, it has a ton of email addresses. It has details about its users. It has different ways and it has marketing, you know, they have marketing budgets and they can bring people through the front door. It really is the smaller. I was I was doing a, a conference the other day with Nicholas Johnston, who's the um, publisher of Axios. And obviously they've been sold for a large amount of money. So they're not too worried about it, I think, immediately. But he said, Twitter is by far and away our most important referral platform. I know lots and lots and lots of people with newsletter type businesses or podcasts for whom that is also true. And those are the people I think that will be really hurt by this, mm. as I think people recede from the platform, which, which as I say, I think they will. There's, a, you know, it just feels like a, it feels like an unmanaged place to be at the moment. You know, it's beginning to fray a bit at the edges. So you don't think that after an initial period of uh, complaining and leaving and whatever, that we'll get to the place where people just hold their nose and say, there's really no other option right now, so we just have to suck it up? I think what, I think what is difficult about that is Musk's presence on Maine, <laughs> being the main character on Twitter every single day, that he has replaced Donald Trump. It's really interesting, actually. He, he allowed Donald Trump to come back. Trump has not reappeared. And Musk has taken that place. And that's what and that's who he is and what he does. And I think whilst it's both owned by him and configured around his personality, and there's nobody internally worrying about what do we do about Elon, um, then I think that it, it makes it difficult to hold your nose if you are a particular type of business, if you do particular type of journalism. But I was just I was just noticing today how many mainstream news organizations have at the bottom of their articles follow our latest stories on twitter we forget how entangled it is so it's easier in a way to say well we're gonna hold our noses and see what happens but if musk continues in in the way that he has behaved in the last couple of weeks which is open hostility to uh journalists and um, other people who annoy him, random kind of editing, and also just the fact that um, I was talking to a friend of mine last night who is getting libs of TikTok promoted into their feed all the time, despite not being somebody who would ever want to see a video from libs of TikTok. I'm noticing just, I'm sure you're noticing this as well, a lot more random bot activity, particularly of the slightly Trumpy type of bots that actually did disappear largely after the 2020 election. And it just has a feeling of being insecure. You know, th this is a man who has hired a um, newsletter writer, Barry Weiss, to be given complete access to the internal files of the company. Not a leak, it's just complete access. He's somebody who hired Matt Taibbi to tweet out um, personal communications 
between Twitter employees around the Hunter Biden laptop story and pretended it was journalism. He's very hostile to journalism. His backers and some of the people who are advising him are very hostile to journalism. You have to pay attention to that, I think, if you're a journalist. We're often put in hostile environments that we don't necessarily want to be in in the first place, you know, without having any agency over it. I think to actively want to be part of that is is difficult. But it's clearly very different as well in different parts of the world. I mean, that's the other thing that we forget here in the States, which is this is a global platform. Uh, I've seen several people saying you wouldn't have the same perspective on the recent protests in China. You wouldn't know nearly as much about Iran. And crucially, particularly in certain spaces, those those people would not be able to necessarily communicate with each other, not in China, but in other places. You know, Twitter is Twitter is much more than just a feed of things that happened. It does create communities around certain types of content. And it's a bit like a bad developer moving to your town and changing everything without actually asking the people who live there. That's why the whole thing is so complicated. I mean, I, I feel that way about, you know, the coverage of Ukraine. I've read journalists I never would have known were there through Twitter. Exactly. Now it comes at such an enormous cost. So tell me what, how are you approaching this as a researcher? What are the questions that you're trying to answer and how are you going about that? So I I mean, a couple of things, and I think we're not alone in this. First of all, Twitter has been unique in being a platform that actually has pretty good access to everything that goes on there through its APIs. And I think that everybody is concerned that that's going to go away or at least degrade in the short term. So there's a real practical issue about what can we collect now Mm -hmm. that we might need to be able to use research in the immediate future. So there's a kind of a scramble on, which is, have we thought of everything? Then I think there's a very specific role for us, which is to think about the journalism community. And there are two questions there, one of which is what's happening to it in the wake of um, Musk's ownership. And that's um, something that we're already engaged in uh, collecting uh, whatever we can to, to, to find out about that. And then the second question really is what's next? And I think in the new year, we're going to have um, a series of events. Anyone will be able to join, which are virtual and some in person, that really ask those questions, both from a cultural perspective, but also sometimes from a technical engineering perspective. Uh, I think that there's a lot of opportunity to build something new and better or to adapt things which are there to be, to be better, uh, which have the idea of supporting high quality information and good conversations in a way that Twitter maybe started out with that intention but found it very hard to grapple with that plus commercial scale so we'll be doing a series of events in the new year we're drowning in 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 data that we're going to start asking questions of and we'll probably have our first reports out on that pretty early in january i think so and if anybody wants to support our work (laughs) they should (laughs) uh, because it's going to be expensive i think really you know there's a there's a lot there's an awful lot of research to do around this there are not really enough researchers in the world focused on what the fallout of this is is going to be to be able to provide adequate answers quickly and it's a set of really complicated questions but i think we're really interested in what what does it mean for the current communities what's getting covered what's not getting covered what's being promoted what's not being promoted and then i think the really critical question is to start to look at what's next i know i mean i know you don't know the answer to this but what does your gut tell you about whether musk will stay the course uh, both in terms of his ownership, but also in terms of how he's now 
managing the site? I mean, it's so hard to know because we're just dealing with an unstable substance. Um, My gut says he'll be gone in the same way that he arrived, that this is not a long-term project. There's no strategic business plan really for this. So my sense is he will be gone as quickly as he came. But when that will be, I don't know. And I think it's really interesting that we're just, we don't like to think about this because it feels like we've just had an election, but we're just entering the 2024 political election cycle, like right now. So the moment, you know, the clock turns over to 2023, we're a year away from the primaries, etc. It's quite an important year. And I think it's just going to be really fascinating to see whether Twitter turns into a parlour light, or whether it's really ha- how it's used in that intervening time. But my, my gut is whatever the course is, he's not really in this for the long term. Although you do get the impression that he is enjoying, I guess that's the word, enjoying the moment and the attention yeah. he's getting. Although I did notice that the share price of Tesla is really getting hit <laughs> and that kind of people who buy teslas i mean not to overgeneralize but my sense is they don't like these kind of politics that he's right right there are a lot of tesla when i leave new york on a friday morning to head up to the catskills there are a lot of teslas on the road sadly i, I i'm not driving one but but it is that that those you know, owning the libs who actually brackets own your cars is 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 not great. And really, his wealth comes from Tesla. So so that's going to start to, I think, be something which will have a, a material kind of impact. Emily, thank you so much. I look forward to like following the stuff that you're doing. It's such a fascinating story and not one that, not one that I would have predicted. I, d- I don't know about you, Kyle, but do you have difficulty even really getting your head around this? I feel, I feel like it's just another crazy turn. No, no, but it's like, of course this is happening. Yes. It's absurd. The whole situation is absurd. <laughs> it's true. Anyway, thanks, Carl. Thanks for having me on. Emily, thanks again for joining us. Remember, you can find Emily's piece about Twitter, as well as a ton of other Twitter coverage on CJR.org. And one final CGR note, we have a new podcast in the CGR family called Red Pen, a podcast about grammar, available through the CGR site or wherever you get your podcasts. Take a listen.